What's up, everyone? Dustin Bass here with just a quick little request. If you enjoy our podcast, could you do us a huge favor and leave us a rating and a review? The reason we ask you to do that is because when we get more ratings and reviews, more people are able to find the show. So if you're enjoying the content that we're putting out, we would greatly appreciate if you helped spread the word. So leave us a rating, leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Thanks so much. And let's get on with the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sons of History podcast. This is going to be part two of the discussion on George Washington. As you know, last week we started part one in honor of President's Day, which is actually in honor of George Washington's birthday, which is technically February 22nd. So we discussed his early life, his move into his military career, and then ultimately taking over as commander in chief of the Continental Army. And now we are moving deeper into his military career as the commander-in-chief, moving into his presidency, and then his end of life. So, we hope that you enjoyed that first part, and we really hope that you enjoy the second part of this conversation about this incredible man who is the father of our nation. So, without further ado, here we go. Now, I do want to talk about some of the, the miracles that took place. We can run through these, the miracles of George Washington's life as as the general um you have yeah, you the, want to talk about the dunkirk of the revolutionary war dunkirk obviously referring to the world war ii yeah uh after the battle of new york uh washington's men were trapped on brooklyn heights um so in front of him he had the british army and the and the uh, hessians mercenaries and to their backs was the east river and the royal navy british royal navy controlled it so um uh, uh, Colonel John Glover showed up one night that he evacuated uh, uh, Washington, all his men, all his men. And uh, luckily, uh, when the sun came up, there was fog that, that covered uh, the East River. Mm -hmm. And so the last of, of Washington's men were able to get across into Manhattan, and then the fog lifted. And George Washington said, Providence was on yeah. our side. Now, this is the same Colonel John Glover that assisted in the Delaware crossing in December of 1776. And I'll let you take that one. Um, yeah. And that John Glover is not to be confused with a Danny Glover of lethal weapon. Um, you know, Danny Glover may be a descendant. Yeah, never it's, know. It's possible. So we have the Delaware crossing 1776. This is the miracle mm -hmm. of 177, the Christmas day miracle of mm -hmm. 1776. This is something that, you know, it's it's famous. It's been made famous now from the Geico commercial. Okay, is that whatever. how it became famous? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do recall when I was a kid seeing Even a painting. Yeah. yeah, so the Delaware Crossing is this moment where George Washington understands that everything is not going well. Like, things are going poorly. And at the end of this 1776, he's going to lose a ton of soldiers for reenlistment. They're all going to go home. Mm -hmm. So he needs one last moment in time. Mm -hmm. Brutal winter. So, but he's like, we're going to attack across the Delaware mm -hmm. and we're going to attack this Hessian camp. Mm -hmm. um, at Trenton. At Trenton. So there's this Hessian encampment. They're, 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 they're not thinking that anything is going to happen. They're like, okay, everybody's done for the, for the winter. Mm -hmm. What does he do? He splits it up into three. That's the thing is he splits his army up into three groups. Washington. Washington yeah, three does. Yeah, three strikes. Yeah. And two of them 
turn back yeah. because you, they're like, there's no way that we're yeah. gonna we're gonna go with this weather, you know. So they turn back. They don't it even was, go. It was you have to remember that Washington was now at a quarter strength of what he was in New York. Mm-hmm. So he now has only five thousand men under his command. Well, the night of the um, the, the, the Trenton raid, the crossing, half of his men were with him. And then there was a, a Ewing and um, and I, don't, I know I'm going to butcher his name Catawalder or something like that Catawampa Catawalder, who he's going to be famous because of something he yeah, did he does to, later with the with the, the, the when we cabal, talk about the Conway yeah. Cabal. Um, but anyways, so they, they, yeah, the they, led, they colonel, led two strike teams. Yeah. Now the Hessian colonels actually warned a couple of times, like, "Hey, they may end up attacking." So, and he, what does he say? He says. Let them come. But he said it in German. I don't... Come and see here or something like that. Is that what it is? Well, no. Come come. Okay, you don't come do here, this. You come here is, is come and see here. Okay, why are you doing this? I don't what know. Do I want to impress people by my... Yeah, ger- but now German. you've totally destroyed your, your reputation. <sighs> Live. <laughs> ich weiß nicht. What does that mean? I know nothing. Hey, thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> or, I know not. Anyways, this battle, they come in, they storm that encampment, and just totally annihilate. Um, and I think they, they they capture like 900 Hessian troops. Yeah, like 920. German I troops. Think, and 920, yeah. I believe. And I think they were like 20, they killed like 22 of them. Now, four, like four or five guys on the American side died from exposure. Mm-hmm. They froze to death. Yeah. Um, so that's how brutal of... A winter it was at yeah. that at that moment in time. They did it without the other two groups following in. Yeah. So a miracle. Um, you and, know, one of the and guys he followed was, up with the Battle of Princeton. One too. of the guys that was injured at that at the Battle of uh, Trenton was uh, 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 James uh, Monroe, who was uh, what fifth, our fifth president. Fifth president. Yeah, he was injured at that battle. Beautiful. Monroe Doctrine. Do you want to talk about the Battle of Princeton? Yeah, the Battle of Princeton. Now, um, after the first Battle of of Trenton, uh, Washington went back. He crossed the Delaware a second time and took all the Hessian prisoners with him who were paraded through Philadelphia. Um, ironic enough that many of those Hessians became American citizens. They were like, hey, you know what? We like it here. Not so bad. No, yeah. nah, never mind. That was terrible. What was that, a Sean Connery accent? What? Me, just now. Um, so, so they went back, and now Cornwallis, who was supposed to go home, he was sent back because he, um, General Howe said, go back and, and, and uh, kick them out of Trenton. Uh, we need to take New Jersey back. So mm-hmm. uh, Cornwallis, um, when they heard that, uh, that the British were coming back, uh, Washington crossed the Delaware a third time, and he was now... In Trenton, and there was a battle, but he went across the, I think it's called the Assipunk something bridge. So he was kind of on the east bank of this river, Assipunk something Creek River. Um, the British held Trenton, Washington was on the east bank, and Cornwallis was convinced that he had now captured Washington and his entire army because they had nowhere to flee. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the river was to their backs. Well, Washington had other ideas. On, on the night of, of January the 2nd, mm-hmm. he took off. He, I mean, he vacated the camp, and instead of escaping, what they did was they went to Princeton, 
which is where he had left a brigade behind. And there was also a lot of supplies. There was money. There was, you know, just things that they needed in Princeton. There was a battle that was fought at Princeton. Now, at the beginning, it was becoming another route, an American route by the British. But uh, George Washington stopped them, told them to turn around. Hugh Mercer was uh, killed in this uh, little battle. Uh, he was bayoneted numerous times. Mm. Hugh Mercer was one of his best friends. Um, he told his men, turn around, and he marched them back to the British. Now, here's, here's what was interesting. Here's the miracle. Here's the miracle. Um, the British were advancing, and Washington led his men, his, his Continentals, about 30 yards from the British. And he, told, he was on his white horse. I mean, he's on top. Now, he, he, you have the British line, you have the American line. And in between, right in front of the American line, in between the British and the Americans, was Washington on his horse. And Washington yelled, Halt! And then he yelled, fire, and the British fired, and the Americans fired, and the whole field of battle was full of smoke. Now, there were many of his officers, Washington's officers, thought for sure Washington was dead. But when the smoke cleared, Washington was still on his horse, mm-hmm. he wasn't hit, and the British... Scared the hell were, out of the British. Were, they were yeah. running. They were running. It became a route. The British were routed. Yeah. And... Uh, America won the battle, and it, 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 it changed Washington from an incompetent uh, man to a mythical figure. Right. And it just changed the course of the revolution because in 10 days, Washington turned things around. Yeah. We were on the verge of losing to the whole country was magnetized and yeah. just you know and, and, and when that when men that story, volunteered yeah. out of out of the woodwork men were volunteering now wow this guy beat the british and he captured the most disciplined mercenaries soldiers in the world mm-hmm. 920 hessians yeah he did it it's incredible turned it around the war a lot of british credit the battle of trenton those 10 days as changing the course of the war yeah now um Let's move on to the Culper Ring, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, the Culper Ring was this the spy ring. Yeah, Benjamin uh, Talmadge. Yeah. And so if you've ever watched, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever watch AMC's Turn, this does a really good job of, of bringing this about. Um, I forgot the, the author of the book, Washington Spies. Do you know the author? No. Okay. Well, there's a book called Washington Spies, which is what the, uh, the show is based off of. Washington understood the necessity of having spies within his army. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that, you know, we, you know, freaking CIA, right? So our intelligence agencies are the best in the world. And you can sort of tie all of that back to Washington requiring, okay, we need spies in our army. And so that's something that, you know, mm-hmm. you can dedicate to the yeah. father of, of our nation yeah. now, there's, is starting there's, aspiring. There is a lot of artistic licensing in the AMC's turn, of but it, it does show the major characters. Right. Um, now, you know, there were a couple of instances where the Culpa Ring helped save the revolution because there was, um, there was a spy that was uh, set up in Manhattan and he served British officers quite frequently. Mm-hmm. So he, he knew what was going on and he, and they would, Pass it on to um, there's uh, Abraham Woodhull and Caleb Brewster, 
so um, the Culper Jr., Culper Sr., they warned Washington about one of his trips that he was going to meet with the French, I believe. Um, they were going to capture him in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Well, they found out about it and uh, told Washington, do not go down that route. Yeah. They also were the ones who knew about the currency that was going to be fake currency that was going to be dumped into America uh, to crash the American economy. And there was also the one where there was a very, very high general that was working with the British. They didn't know who it was at first, but when um, on John Andre was captured, they realized it was Benedict Arnold. Benny. Yeah, who was one of Washington's best friends. Yeah. But, the, yeah, I mean, but, but that almost getting captured in Connecticut. He would have been yeah. captured. But yeah. save for the uh, culprit ring. And speaking of betrayal, I, I love this story of what is known famously as the Conway Cabal. Okay, yes. This took place in 1777 mm -hmm. with several generals. Um, now, you had mentioned Thomas Mifflin uh, mm -hmm. a moment ago. Thomas Mifflin, uh, he brought him in as an aide. He obviously you know, rose up the ranks. Mm -hmm. But Washington was pretty suspicious of him because it seemed like he was using his position to sort of better himself mm -hmm. financially. Um, but this sort of goes back to when Gates defeats Burgoyne at the Battle of Saratoga. Right. Um, on, and this is, this is sort of when there's this, you know, Gates doesn't feel like he feels like he should be the commander in chief, like all along, like he should have been the one, you know, in, in control. Well, you have to keep in mind that Gates really with the help of Daniel Morgan and Benedict Arnold, mm -hmm. captures an entire British army right. under a uh, gentleman, Johnny Burgoyne. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, George Washington loses Philadelphia. He loses at Brandywine. He loses at Germantown. Yeah. He loses uh, the Paoli Massacre. Mm -hmm. So, And now he's you know, hung up uh, just outside. He hadn't gone to Valley Forge yet, but, yeah. but Washington was... Again, looked upon as this incompetence. And Congress is losing yeah. confidence. Like yeah. they had lost confidence. Yeah. John Adams, Samuel Adams, yeah. um, um, Richard Henry Lee, all those guys were yeah. fed they up. They were like, no. Yeah, this. they're like, we're sick and tired of. They looked at him as a kind of a Fabian. Mm -hmm. um, it was a Roman reference when they fought uh, Hannibal, where the Roman uh, f um, the Roman general knew that he was not strong enough to defeat Hannibal, so. He would avoid the major battles. Well, this is what Washington was doing. He was avoiding the major battles because yeah. he knew he couldn't beat the British. Right. Well, John Adams is even very angry in his uh, in his diaries. He mm -hmm. states, "Enough of this Fabian War." So, the Adams uh, cousins, Richard Henry Lee, they were in favor of Gates taking over. Yeah. And Joseph Reed was a part of this. Um, this is why Joseph Reed hated Benedict Arnold, because Benedict Arnold was part of Washington's camp. And Benedict Arnold didn't get any credit from from the Battle of Saratoga Correct. because Gates took all of it. Right. Uh, yeah, so you had you had on on Washington's side, you had a guy named Laurence. Uh, his father was president of Congress. Uh, you had uh, Philip Schuyler, you, you know, you had uh, Nathaniel Green, Benedict Arnold. On the other side, you had Thomas Mifflin, James Wilkinson, who was with uh, Lee when Lee was captured. You had Lee, you had Gates. Mm -hmm. um, now, a lot of this starts on 
right after the Battle of Saratoga, right after the win. Correct. Uh, October 18th, Washington is informed by the New York governor, uh-huh. George Clinton, that Burgoyne had surrendered. Correct. But Gates is not informed Washington. His boss, you know, his mm-hmm. yeah, commanding he tells, officer. He tells Congress. Yeah. Uh, Gates sends a note on November 2nd, just a short note saying, yeah, you know, this, this happened. Mm-hmm. And this is this pisses off Washington, but he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't let anything go. Now we've already established that Gates is very jealous and very upset that he's not in control of everything, and he uses this Saratoga battle as like, see, you see who should be in control of everything, me. Now, James Wilkinson, who you mentioned earlier, was an aide to Gates, and he tells an aide to Lord Sterling, who is a very good friend of Washington of some of the negative comments that Gates had been saying about Washington. And he also showed him a letter from Thomas Conway, mm-hmm. who we'll mention in a second later, uh, a mention from Thomas Conway to Gates that read, Heaven has determined to save your country, or a weak general and bad counselors would have ruined it. Now, Sterling told Washington about this. Washington confronts Gates about it. Now, shortly after the Battle of Saratoga, Washington is asking Hamilton to take, I think, two of the brigades from um, from Gates, and Gates is like, "No, I can't. I can't. You know, dispense. I can't dispense with these guys. Like, he doesn't want to give them to Washington. It's not so much that he can't dispense with them; he can't afford to dispense. Is that he just doesn't want to give Washington anything? Well, he find Hamilton finally convinces him, or just more or less, just like we're we're taking these guys." Mm-hmm. So he takes them. When Washington confronts Gates about some of the, the things that he had heard and the letter from Conway to Gates, Gates is like, now that must be a forgery. Or maybe maybe it's Alexander Hamilton. So he tries to put it on Alexander Hamilton. Like he's gone through my notes, my letters, and Washington finally tells him, it was your own man, mm-hmm. James Wilkinson, who leaked this. And that totally just silenced Gates. Now, speaking of Thomas Mifflin, mm-hmm. he's put on, uh, as a general, he was placed on the board of war. Mifflin names Gates as the president of the board of war, which would include a supervisory role over George Washington. Yeah, they, they did not answer to George Washington. And the Congress backed this whole thing. Mm-hmm. The Board of War instituted an inspection system. They sort of reorganized things, created an inspection system with Thomas Conway as the inspector general, and which boosted him to, to a position that Washington did not want him to have, mm-hmm. which was major general. And, and he didn't, again, he didn't answer to George Washington. Mm-hmm. He answered to Congress, which was very sympathetic. Exactly to the Conway he was exempt. Cabal. Yeah. yeah, he was exempt from that. So yeah. he didn't have to answer to Washington. He shows up at Valley Forge and Washington is like, you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I want to mention real quick, Wilkinson, James Wilkinson, the night, the dimension, I don't know if I did, the night of the crossing into, uh, the, the night of the crossing into Delaware, Wilkinson approached George Washington as he's watching the ships, the boats going across the Delaware and stated that Gates was in town and Washington is like Gates what wh- where is he and Wilkinson said oh he went down to Baltimore to go talk to Congress 
And Washington knew right there that Gates went there to to uh, elevate himself at Washington's expense. Yeah. So w- Wilkinson was with Charles Lee the morning that he was captured, but Wilkinson was able to escape. Amazing. But the end result, so the end result of this cabal mm-hmm. is, one, Washington just, and this is a study in how to deal with people. And it really speaks to Washington's patience, his resolve, and sort of letting things play out and sort of letting people hang themselves, mm-hmm. if you will. Washington remained as polite as possible to Gates. Gates eventually just falls apart at the seams. Um, and so he, he he shows like what type of general that he actually was um, later on in the war. Mifflin, finally, he resigns as quartermaster general after charges of what? Mismanagement, financial mismanagement. So he resigns. So that's sort of two down. And then the Conway, the Thomas Conway is the best one. So Thomas Conway kept writing Congress and threatening to resign. And he kept threatening to resign so much that Congress finally was like glad to accept his resignation. So they accepted it. And so, but he kept bad mouthing Washington, which led to a duel, which is a guy you mentioned a second ago, John Caldwell Otter. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, Cad Cadwallader. Yeah, Cadwallader. He so was, they, he, he had one of the strike teams yeah. that didn't. Uh, he, they made it across, but they didn't uh, attack because of the weather. So he challenges Conway to a duel, and he shoots the guy, shoots Conway in the mouth and throat. Mm-hmm. And it's supposedly that he said, like he stands over him. And he's like, "Well, that'll stop his lying anyway." Yeah, he thought he, he thought he was going to die, and he finally admitted, you know what, uh, General Washington is not that bad of a guy. After exactly. All. So he writes a letter to Washington. Conway writes a letter to Washington after all this has happened. And he says, and he's you know recovering from his injuries, he says, I find myself just able to hold the pen during a few minutes and take this opportunity of expressing my sincere grief for having done, written, or said anything disagreeable to your excellency. My career will soon be over. Therefore, justice and truth prompt me to declare my last sentiments. You are, in my eyes, the great and the good man. May you long enjoy the love, veneration, and esteem of these states whose liberties you have asserted by your virtues. And it's like, sometimes you just like let those things play out. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, there's a scripture that I like to, to reference like, vengeance is mine says lord like you let god handle a lot of these things you let those things play out and eventually if somebody is a crook if somebody is you know uh doing things wrong shady those things will come come out right now let's talk about the end of the war the war has come to an end it ends at the battle of yorktown Mm mm-hmm All is said and done. And George Washington does something as a conqueror that's never been done in the history of mankind. What is that? He did not become a Caesar or Napoleon or Oliver Cromwell, where as the conquering general, he took over the government or took over the nation. Mm -hmm. He said, gentlemen... I did my duty. I resigned my commission. I want to go home and uh, 
live out my days running a plantation yeah. as a civilian. And it's interesting because James Otis at the beginning, you know, before all this really takes off, he says, a man's house is his castle. Uh-huh. And George Washington didn't want to be king. No. And yet he leaves to go to his castle, Mount Vernon. Right. And it's the most amazing thing. Now, there is a story and everybody, a lot of people and historians believe that it's true, although it's not like, it, I don't think it's physically written down as like the king did say this. But when King George III, you know, asks more or less, like when he, he is told by an aide or somebody comes in, I forgot who, comes in and tells him um, George Washington, you know, is, has won. And he's like, well, he's going to be the next king. And he's like, actually, what he decided to do was resign his position and he went home. Mm-hmm. And it's said that King George III said this, if that is true, then George Washington is the greatest man to ever live. I mean, come he, on. He, I mean, there was even calls by some. You have to remember that, that there was a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. And Congress and, and had it, hated that for a while. They were yeah. fearful oh, yeah, of Adams. that. And then all of a sudden when he wins... John Adams was one of his biggest critics. John Adams was upset and jealous that people are going to give all the credit for winning the war to George Washington and not to himself mm-hmm. or to Jefferson or any of the other guys that, um, that bravely did sign the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. because they, they signed their own death warrant when they did yeah. that. Um, he was afraid that uh, Washington could, because of this cult of personality, could become a king. He yeah. could have been a king because every nation in the world was run by a king or an emperor or prince, a sachem, whatever, the whole world. Um, the only two nations in the world that I can think of that did not have such a government was the Netherlands and Switzerland, or what was uh, the Confederacy, I forgot the name of it, but... Uh, the Swiss Confederacy, they did mm-hmm. not have a king. Yeah. Um, so here, here we have this general who, instead of assuming command as the dictator or as the king, says, I'm going to go home. Thank you. I enjoyed yeah. it. Just like we discussed in the movie Gladiator, where Maximus said that he will march on Rome and the Senate can overthrow uh, Emperor Commodus. Mm-hmm. And you remember the, the senator, how his reaction was? Yeah. So you're just going to take over and then give it back. I think that's exactly how Something. he said it. Yeah. And he goes, yes. And I'm going to go back to Spain and be a farmer. Yeah. His men loved him. Like they looked up. Like you can read just tons of writings about how his like his generals would mm-hmm. take notice of how the soldiers would react when Washington would ride through uh-huh. and how the soldiers were just in awe of him, but they loved him as well. Now there was the Newburgh conspiracy, which was a moment where Congress had not paid the soldiers. And so there was this threat of mutiny mm-hmm. and Washington comes in to address those troops and they're, hinge, you know, hinging on every word that he says. And this is one of the things that he said that brought pretty much all of the soldiers, as it's as it's written, um, to tears. 
And he said, gentlemen, you will permit me, because he had a prepared speech, gentlemen, you will permit me to put on my spectacles for I have grown not only gray, but almost blind in the service of my country. The guy had given everything, Mm -hmm. everything to this country, which is why it's so fitting that he be the father of this country. Um, In his humility, you mentioned his humility. Yeah. When he did that, they they could tell that he was speaking from the heart. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened during the miracle of the Delaware, where after the Battle of Trenton, the enlistments were up. And he spoke to his men. He knew that all these men were going to go home. And he, he talked to them and he said, Gentlemen, I need you for six more weeks. Mm-hmm. Just six more weeks. Stay with me, please. And nobody, nobody, nobody volunteered. Left. Nobody volunteered. There was a drum rolling. Nobody volunteered. So then he was, I mean, everyone who was there, the contemporary mm-hmm. writers, were saying that you could see the anguish in his face. Yeah. And he's like, Gentlemen, I beg you, everything that is dear to you, to this nation, please, please. I can't. I know there's nothing more I can ask of you. You've stayed with me during this whole debacle. Mm-hmm. Please, I need you just six more weeks. Yeah. And they would look at each other, and the drum was rolling, and some of the guys was like, well... Guys, I can't go home like this. Yeah. And the other guy would be like, "Well, I'll I'll volunteer if you volunteer." Mm-hmm. And so he won them over. Yeah. And and um his his staff, Washington staff was like, "Should we write them write their names down because they they need to commit to the 6 weeks?" And Washington's like, "No. The men who volunteered, I'm not going to force them. Mm-hmm. They they gave me their word and we're going to leave it at that." Yeah. You know, Benedict Arnold, I, I, I'm still a fan of Benedict Arnold. I, I hate what happened to him and what he did. I, I think he was pushed. Yeah, he ravaged our towns. Well, raped you know our what? women. Listen, he, he, no, he didn't do, he that, didn't do it because he hated America. He, he did it because he hated the leadership. He felt betrayed yeah. by every single, you know, I mean, his best friends were Philip Schuyler and George Washington. And he knows he betrayed them, but at the same time, he felt like, you know what, it's that Congress and it's that Joseph Reed and all those guys, they're the ones who I'm betraying. Mm-hmm. I would rather let the king run this country than those guys run yeah. this country. And his pocketbook also right. uh, now, betrayed if, him. If he was the commanding general or if Gates or if uh, Charles Lee was the commanding general, mm-hmm. imagine what this country would have been like had victory been won. Yeah. And any one of those three were in command. Right. What, it would have been a dictatorship. It would have been a dictatorship. Yeah. Or, or a monarchy again. Yeah. So the American people Can you imagine would Benedict have Arnold traded... And Peggy Shippen? They would have traded... I know. They would have traded one tyrant 3,000 miles away with a tyrant that was now in their midst. Exactly. Yeah. Washington may not have been the best general in the world, but he was the, he was best, the best man, man to be the commander-in-chief. Amen to that. So he goes home... Mm-hmm. And he's brought back. Madison actually rides his horse all the way to go get him and convince him to to go. And here's the reason why uh, Washington was not going to go to to that meeting. It was because he had already joined the the Cincinnatus. Um, the what is it called? It's the like group? the Cincinnati the, yeah. Brotherhood, or right? Cincinnati. It was all the generals. Mm-hmm. 
And all of a sudden, like the press sort of gets wind of this and is like, oh, this is sort of like an aristocratic movement. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, I love the men of this group. And I think it was started by Henry Knox. I love the men of this group, but now I, I can't be part of it because I don't want to be perceived as somebody who is an aristocrat. I don't mm -hmm. want it to be perceived that I feel that I am better than everybody else. So I won't be part of the, the Cincinnatus group. And um, now we have sort of Congress coming back together to formulate, you know, this country. Because of the Shays Rebellion was an example. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Congress didn't have the power to stop the Shays Rebellion. So they realized that this Confederacy, the Articles of Confederation was what binded the 13 colonies together. And the reason why he wasn't going to go to the, con the, to the Congress to... to to the constitutional convention was because, well, I don't want to hurt the feelings mm -hmm. of the generals that established the society of the, of the Cincinnatus. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go to either one and I'll be clean and clear. I don't want anybody to think ill of me. Mm -hmm. Like for somebody who has done all that he has done mm -hmm. and to still have that mentality mm -hmm. is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Now, eventually Madison convinces him. He's like, look, if you're not there, like everybody, we don't just want you there. We need you there. Mm -hmm. You're going to be the one to sort of hold all of us together while we're fighting. And so Madison convinces him to come to the Constitutional Convention. And obviously, what? Well, what I, what I was going to mention is, is a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Number one, George Washington knew from the time he resigned his commission to the rest of his life, that he was setting precedents, that, that people in the future were going to judge his actions. He did not want to be the leader of the country because he did not want to set the precedents of the, the winning general becomes the leader of the country, and is he going to be the king? Is he going to be a tyrant? He, he was afraid of that because he read, he read the classics, Rome and, and Athens, and and. Wow, the medieval period, what happened in France, England, America, I mean, uh, in Germany. He knew what went on when a, a victorious general took over. He did not want that. He, right. Again, he was like, I'm setting a precedence here. I realize this. Um, he, he just, you know, there, there was something else that I was going to mention. He didn't want Henry Knox coming over to stab him to death Well, like Brutus. Well, you know, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, you know. One thing that people don't realize is, is that when the Continental Army was formed, the 13 colonies, they saw themselves as 13 different countries. Correct. They did not, the, the New Englanders did not care for the Southerners and vice versa. And nobody right. liked the people of Pennsylvania. And, and you know, many of the uh, Massachusetts men didn't care for the men of Rhode Island. And so there was this turmoil within the camp. There were fist fights. There were fist fights in the Continental Army where Washington himself would jump into it and mm -hmm. separate the men. Yeah. It was like a fight between a, uh, a black man, a free black man, or he might have been a slave. I don't know, but he was black and um, a southerner. Um, and he got in the midst and pulled them apart. And, and he's like, gentlemen, you know, we are Americans. We are not Virginians. We are not... Georgians or New Englanders, we are all here. He had to put a confederacy together, 13 different countries into one, make it one country. Mm -hmm. And that's what he achieved with the Continental Army.
This is why, you know, uh, Sam and John Adams realized, you know, we need a Virginian to bind this country together, these 13 colonies, these 13 states together. Washington set precedence after precedence after precedence, and this is why we will continue to harp on this. He was the best man for the job. Yeah, indeed he was. And speaking of accepting the presidency, he was he was voted as like okay unanimously, Mm -hmm. like this is the guy. If we're gonna have our first president, this is the guy we want to have as the first president. Right now, we scrapped the Articles of Confederation. Right, we had now the Constitution, which. Mm -hmm. Uh, someone asked Benjamin Franklin, you know, what did we end up with? Yeah. What did you give us? What'd you give us? I gave you, we gave you a Republic if you can keep it. Yep. And that's, and you know, eventually the constitution is ratified, you know, George Washington. Yeah. It It took took a while. It took a little while. And I think about two years to officially from 87 to 89, I think officially, the ninth state mm-hmm. uh, ratified it. Yeah, but we still had an election in 1788. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like one day. It was, but but he was voted unanimously. Yeah, he got all the electoral votes. Mm-hmm. And he, but even before, because he knew that if he if he went, and he knew that everybody wanted him to become the president. And something, and we, I refer back to his humility again. This great man. Um, he tells Alexander Hamilton that he doesn't even feel like he can mention the presidency to anyone, even close friends. He says this, for situated as I am, I could hardly bring the question into the slightest discussion or ask an opinion, even in the most confidential manner, without betraying, in my judgment, some impropriety of conduct. He didn't want people to think that he wanted the power, that he wanted the position. Like, how often do you run across people like that? Like, we will never, we're, we're never going to see this again. Mm-hmm. Well, one, all the nations are, all the land is, is, is done. Like, all the nations are established. Like, you're never going to see this again, unless you have a complete overthrow or whatever in, in some country or whatever. But you'll never see this type of character at such a high level to where so much is at stake. And he says, you know what? the people's will is is going to to determine what I do. It it happened with with the generalship with taking over as the commander in chief of continental armor to becoming the first president. It's like it's up to y'all. I want it. And that's obvious that he wanted to be in those positions. But it's so crazy that he didn't even want to bring up the subject to other people because he didn't want them to think I'm power hungry, I want prestige or anything like that. Ultimately, and this is something that he wrote about all the time, was I really just want to go home and just be with my wife, Martha, and just relax and just run the farm. When he does accept the presidency, all these precedents are are set into place. He sort of sets the culture of um, how to to accept the president. He did the open air, um, oath of office, which is now, you know, you know, 200 and almost 50 years later, all the presidents do their, their oath of office out in the open air where everybody can see them. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole, so help me God. Um, that was something that he put in there. Um, it wasn't on the written part and something that doesn't happen now, but he did was when he finished with his oath, he leaned over, bent over, and kissed the Bible. Mm-hmm. 
And that is, you know, we, we look at, you know, the deist and different stuff like that, but he understood what the Bible was, that the Bible was the guiding source of morality for America. Correct. And he makes mention of that in his inaugural address. Um, no, not his inaugural address, his, his final address to Congress after his second presidency. Um, and it's just... I mean, all, all the Incredible. founding fathers, uh, many of them were deists, whether they were full deists or they were in between, they, they all felt that way. I mean, mm-hmm. George Washington would attend the, uh, the, the Episcopal Church every Sunday, yeah. except for there was uh, some Sundays where, I forgot what the name of them were, but you were expected to stick around and take communion. Those on those Sundays he didn't attend mm-hmm. because he didn't feel it was right for him to take communion, and he didn't want people to see that he just sat there while everyone else. Yeah. So uh, perception he, yeah. was a big thing for yeah, him. Yeah, and he knew everybody was live, looking at him. And I do want to make mention of this: we live in a society right now where you see a lot of people, you hear a lot of people, and you you read these memes or these statements on social media. Where like, doesn't matter what people think of you, you do you. That horse crap. Ladies and gentlemen, it does matter mm-hmm. what other people think about you. Because one, if if it matters to you what other people think of you, you are going to hold yourself to a higher standard. And that's what George Washington always did. He did not want people thinking ill of him. Did they? Yeah. There were people we've discussed that. Congress thought ill of him. Fellow generals thought ill of him. They're like, this guy's ill-equipped for the job, which is something that he made mention before he even accepted the job mm-hmm. or the moment he did. He's like I'm ill-equipped, but I love what we're doing, and I am going to dedicate and devote my life and my fortune okay. to this cause. Yeah, he would sacrifice his free time. He mm-hmm. wanted leisure time, and he was going to—he was willing to sacrifice it for the good of the country. Now, speaking of something like that, we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing the whole impeachment thing Mm -hmm. and we were talking about Andrew Johnson and the office of tenure act that was passed by Congress, like a few months before they decided, okay, let's go ahead and try to impeach Andrew Johnson based on a lot of what had just been passed with that act. This was something that almost got passed, um, in 1789 that would really constrain his executive authority, which would have required him, uh, the presidency, to re- it would have required Senate approval for to fire and hire anybody in the executive branch. Like it would have, like, and so anyone that George Washington or any future president would have wanted to hire on or fire because of whatever reason would have had to have Senate approval, which would have been very constricting to the executive branch. The House passed it, mm-hmm. the Senate voted, and they were split. And luckily, John Adams, who had his eye on the presidency, mm-hmm. once Washington's out of the way, he felt, hey, I will, I'm going to be the president. I don't care who <laughs> gets in my way, right? And he was. He was second president. He decided to vote against the bill. And luckily, he did. Because but, but Washington would have been able to defeat the bill anyway, wouldn't he? All he had to do was veto it. He would have vetoed it, but what if it had gone back? I mean, you know, maybe maybe it wouldn't have gotten the, the two-thirds. Who knows? But Well, I mean, if it was tied, then that would tell me that um, they, would more than likely. To, yeah. they would not have been able to do the... Right, but I'm just saying, like, it's interesting that this was something that was mentioned right at the very beginning mm-hmm. uh, of the Constitution, 
and they brought this up, passed this bill. Senate almost passed it. John Adams defeated it. So it didn't have to go to Washington because you know Washington would have, he would have felt constricted on that. He, like, he would have felt torn. Like if I say yes, I'm really, for the future of this country and all the presidents to go ahead of me, this is really going to restrict their authority. On the other side, if I veto it, I mean, what have we talked about so much? Like he was really concerned about how people viewed him. Is If I veto this, is this going to come across like I'm power hungry? Like I get to do anything that I want to in yeah. my executive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you can, you can sense that I can sense that Washington would have been a little torn with that. I think he would have still vetoed it because it would have been for the best, you know, for it, the it office. Just, I but, think yeah. they, I think he was wise enough to know that, look, if I'm going to be the head of the executive branch, I need to have the power to fire, hire and fire. Mm-hmm. Because then you are now talking about having the legislative branch having powers over the executive branch. And that, that's not going to fly. Yeah. You had to have the separation. So I, I think he would have vetoed it. Yeah. No, I, I think he probably would have yeah. too. Speaking of, he was put in a second term. He did not want to. If you read his inaugural address, his first one, and then you read his second one, it's like the second one was like a page. You know, he was just like, I don't even want to. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And he finally got through and died a few years later. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing uh, that we. He should, died like his father died. He died like his father, exactly. Go into detail about how he died. That is so bizarre. He was out in uh, riding around in his plantation, and it was raining and it was cold. I mean, this was in December, December of uh, 1799. You just don't do that in the middle of winter. Yeah. So he was out in the rain. He got he was soaked. Actually, you know what? It wasn't winter yet. It was not winter yet. It was still late fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got soaked, and when he went inside the uh, his home. He sat down to eat, so he was still in his wet clothes. He ate, and then he caught pneumonia. He didn't recover. Yeah, but he did die in December. Yeah, yeah. I think it was December sixteenth. Mm-hmm. December fourteenth. Was it December fourteenth? Yeah. But it's very odd that he died exactly the same way that his dad died. Very bizarre. Um, now he loved his wife. Martha, they had a really good relationship. Um, they wrote to each other all the time. I just want to throw this out there, um, the relationship that he had with with her. Now, George Washington had no kids. He was, you know, he, he had, so he had, there was no threat of monarchy mm-hmm. or a hereditary presidency, you know. And I, I heard some, I forgot the guy's name, but he was talking about sort of the miracles of Washington. And one of them was that he had no kids, that there was no threat of this. Okay. Yeah. George Washington. Now George the yeah. second, George the yeah. third, you know what I'm saying? Do George the third. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. there was no threat of that. And that was almost biologically set the world or set the nation at ease mm-hmm. that they didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. His, uh, one of his stepsons died. He, he caught disease or something from the Battle of Yorktown. He, yeah. He, uh, wanted to wa- he wanted to attend. Yeah, so, so they set him up and so he could watch the surrender. Yeah. And he died shortly thereafter. He died shortly thereafter. Yeah. yeah. 
So, so uh, yeah, he had no offspring. So there are no mm-hmm. there are no offspring today from. Uh, Another thing that was neat about Washington, and we're wrapping up this Washington series, this two part series, um, was he loved to dance. He was a great oh, yeah. dancer. Oh yeah, great dancer, and he hated parties where there were no women. Now he was married. But he hated it when there were no parties with, without women because he just liked to, to entertain and to talk. And, you know, you read, you know, the letters that, you know, women wrote and that he wrote, you know, just talking about, you know, how much fun, how entertaining. And so he loved to entertain. He loved to dance. And he loved to ride horses. Yeah. Um, and he loved to mess with his crops, mm-hmm. obviously. So, and he loved to fight. The dude, the dude, it sounds disrespectful, doesn't it? The old man. The old man, yeah. He was super strong, much like his dad. Uh His dad, I think, was like 6'5 and jacked. And Washington was was built much the same. They say that his, more or less, his body structure was built to be the perfect horseman. Uh Like, his legs were so strong Uh that he could ride up and down these slopes and without without any problems. Yeah, I think he was what 62 or 63. Yeah. And um yeah, he was uh he was I think he had reddish hair. Just uh very 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 presidential like mm-hmm. and um and he had real bad teeth. Yeah, I think they're made out Poor of ivory, guy. not not wood, but out of ivory. Yeah, I think there were like like multiple types of like he had like a hodgepodge going on mm-hmm. um but yeah he just he really struggled um with his teeth mm-hmm. um i don't know if that was like hereditary or if it was just you know diet the one thing that was bad and uh, unfortunately i think it was the way things were in those days um the correspondence between him and martha all but three letters were destroyed upon yeah. his death now john and abigail adams fortunately you know, we still have their letters and we can enjoy them today. Um, I think uh, they wrote, they, they each wrote about a thousand each to each other. And uh, we have, we have more than a thousand left over that, mm-hmm. that uh, I don't know the exact number, but, uh, but um, there were three letters that were saved. Um, Martha destroyed them. Now, th- these were found, I believe. Um, but we have only three letters between Martha and uh, George. Yeah, I don't know why she did that. I, I had read that that's how it was at the time, that many many people felt, you know, there's my public life and then there's my private life. And if mm-hmm. I'm going to write to my wife, then that's private. And, yeah. you know, the, the wives felt the same way and they didn't, want, uh, they didn't want anyone to do it, to read it. But, you know, John and Abigail were like, you know, for posterity's sake, you know, you're not just a married couple. You're now president and the first lady of the united states and mm-hmm. so posterity posterity wants to know who you are they, we, we want to know the person we want to know who dolly madison is we want to know um you know martha jefferson although martha died before thomas was uh, president, president yeah. but uh you know we, we want to know who y'all are and mm-hmm. the best way to do this is read the correspondence yeah so an amazing man who Became the father of our country for a ton of great reasons. Um, a semi-mythical individual. Um, just lived through disease, lived through 
battles, lived through the cold, led his men, um, led this country um, militarily and politically. And just if there is anybody that deserves to be labeled father of America, it's George Washington. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed this conversation. This, this was, this is really good. Yeah. I, um, I, I hope I everybody loved, enjoyed it too. I love talking about him. I'm, I'm kind of uh, perturbed by many of the discussions as of late where mm-hmm. people are bad mouthing him yeah. for the slavery issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we cannot judge people by today's standards. Right. Um, I, I'm guilty of things that I did in high yeah. school. It, you know, it just, it's just And I sort of take that, um, that statement or that quote that uh, John McCaskill mentioned, that Dr. Woodson, mm-hmm. who founded um, the whole idea of Black History Month. I mean, it was Black History Week, but he said, put yourself in history. We have to put ourselves in history. And a lot of people who talk about what happened 200, 300 years ago, they're not putting themselves in history. No, they're not. They're, they're putting themselves now. They're putting the. They're, they're putting twenty twenty people of into seventeen seventy whatever. Yeah, they're putting George Washington into in today's terms yeah, into twenty twenty. You can't do that. It, no, you can't do it. I mean, they they. It was a very you know you, women didn't women did not vote. No uh, slaves. There were slaves. Black even free black men did not vote. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you did not own land. They, they they were looking at it as if you don't own property, then yeah. you don't have a stake in the country. You shouldn't be able to vote. It, yeah. it has to be people who are who have something to lose. Right. So you know, if you look at who got to vote in the seventeen eighty eight election versus today, mm-hmm. it's vastly different. So look at the man for who he was in his time. In his time, correct. And that's it. Short of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say he was the greatest man who ever lived. And I, I heard this from a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. She said the same thing. Heard this from other people that they felt that he was the greatest man who ever lived short mm-hmm. of Jesus simply because he had the power to rule as a tyrant mm-hmm. and he chose not to. He chose to be humble. He chose to sacrifice for the good of the country, for the good of the people, not just during that time, but for all generations yeah. to come. Yeah. Good man. Glad we, uh, glad we were blessed to have, I mean, it's George Washington. Yeah. I mean, it's really his birthday. Have, not, yeah, I know it's called president's day, but, it, but it's, it's really it's his birthday. Washington's birthday. Yeah. So happy birthday, George Washington. We thank you for, all that you did. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, that brings an end to our two-part episode on George Washington. We trust that you enjoyed our conversation, that you learned a lot about the man who is known as the father of our country. Um, and, Alan, where can people find us to engage? They can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We have our own website. Yes, we do www.thesonsofhistory.com mm-hmm. You can also find us with The Epic Times. We both have columns. Mine, mine just came out. It was last week. Uh, it was about the love between John and Abigail Adams, how they expressed their love in letters, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. 
um, so that, you know, if you're complaining, okay, you know, nowadays we have instant access to uh, communications, yeah. but back then, yeah, in I never the 18th had time century, to call them. I never had, I, yeah, well, okay. I'm guilty of stuff like that. Yeah. But well, I mean, they, they no wrote excuse. letters and they used snail mail and, you know, like when John and Abigail were on different continents, it mm -hmm. took months for them yeah. to communicate and then months to get a reply. Yeah. So, uh, and, and you have columns too in the Epic Times. We, yep. both, we both do. So. I did read your Valentine's piece. It was very good. Thank you. Thank very, you very much. Very uh, heartwarming. Thank so. you. It's good stuff. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that is it. We hope that you have a great week and we'll talk to you later. Mm -hmm.